Hey firecrackers, it's Naomi and welcome to the firecracker department. I'm super excited about this episode's guest. Of course, I'm always excited, but um, our guest today is the writer, the producer, the director, the phenomenon, Leslie Linka-Gladder. Now, you may know Leslie Linka-Gladder uh, as the executive producer of a little show wrapping up its eighth and final season on Showtime called Homeland. What? I know, I'm talking to the director and executive producer of Homeland. As the showrunner and a longtime director, she has had unbelievable amounts of insight and knowledge into how to really, you know, like how to get stuff done. She's not somebody that just like sits back, she dives in. Leslie works tirelessly to promote women behind the camera and continually debunk the nonsense idea that women can't direct action. She's amazing, she directed episodes of Twin Peaks, Freaks and Geeks, one of my favorite shows in the whole world. Uh, House, ER, The West Wing, Gilmore Girls, Mad Men, The Walking Dead, True Blood, The Newsroom, Ray Donovan, and so many more, including Homeland's series finale. Like, if you loved an episode of TV, I bet she probably directed it. I bet she did. She co-created the NBC Female Forward Initiative with Jen Sulkey, and she is a longtime champion of women on set, which I... Adore. She's got this great philosophy about mentorship that we talk about in this this chat, and uh, it's fantastic. Her directorial debut, uh, a little 1995 film starring Christina Ricci, Demi Moore, and Rosie O'Donnell called Now and Then. I mean, you want to talk about iconic? We can talk about iconic. And that film is celebrating 25 years. 25 years! And honestly, you talk to her and you feel like she has just started her career. That's how excited she is. That's how jazzed she is about what she gets to do. I'm always excited when I get a chance to share some time, share some stories with these firecrackers. And um, <laughs> I, was, I was delving into the research about Leslie and getting more and more nervous and kind of freaked out because this woman's resume, this woman's span of life is so beautiful and so rich. I kind of dove into this interview thinking I, I just I have so many questions and I want to share so many of her stories I'm not only in awe of her resume but I'm in awe of her approach to everything that she's doing like her passion you'll hear it in her voice it's just infectious she just talks with such joie de vivre <laughs> that's the word that I'm thinking of because it's just it, you can tell it just means so much to her and typically I always start these chats feeling like mmm I could read one more article, I could listen to one more interview before chatting with her, and then you have to put it all aside and just delve into it and have a talk between two human beings, and that's what we did. So, as I said, we had 25 years of, of life to talk about. So much life, plus how she got there. Like, she started as a dancer and a choreographer, and also she was part of Soderbergh's COVID-19 task force, and so much! I'm raising my arms in the air because it's so much. Her life is just so colorful. And she talks about the importance and her love of storytelling. And then the more you talk to Leslie Linkgladder, you're like, oh, your life is a beautiful story. It's a beautiful story. And for her to spend an hour with me, I'm just honored. I have to say, we recorded this at my father's house in Canada. 
I think we, at that time, we had three sneakers in the office. My father, my brother, and myself. And uh, different people had different conference calls at different times. We're all in quarantine together right now, and um, we made it work. I somehow got them to just uh, zip it <laughs> for an hour while I talked to Leslie, which, uh, which was amazing. So here we go. Let's get started. Here is Leslie Linka Gladder, the one and only. Hello, hello. How are you? So nice oh, to meet you. Oh, what a treat. What an absolute treat to, to meet you and to have some time with you. Likewise, um, I feel the same way. It's such a, uh, it feels like such a trite question to ask how people are these days. But how are you these days? Oh, really well, thank is you for asking. Um, you know, I guess in all the big picture ways, I'm fine. I'm healthy. No one of my son is fine. No one around me is, has gotten, um, that's actually not true. There are people who I know who have gotten COVID but recovered. Uh, but I feel like people's emotional states go wildly up and down. Like most of the time okay. I'm fine. I'm developing new projects. I'm working on new things. I was on the DGA COVID task force in terms of how we reopen safely and doing, I was uh, an advisor at the Sundance Directors Lab. So, you know, things where you're giving back, working with talented, diverse filmmakers. Uh, but then in the midst of all of that, there'll be an incredible sadness yeah. and loss. And I think uh, we, I guess we all have to allow for that in this time because it's so complicated and it's a new normal and no one has ever gone through this before. No. Nope. In terms of what's going on in the world, oh my God, it's heartbreaking, yeah. but essential, you know, yeah. in the sense of, you know, we saw a man murdered for nine minutes. It was horrifying and, and change has to, has to happen. Yeah. I think I have a feeling that you're a bit like me where I'm, I'm also excited about this trauma we're living through because it has to happen. And I know we're all part of it. We're not I allowing. Hope being, uh, and you know, again, I'm a middle-aged white woman. So I have not experienced that kind of prejudice and trauma. So I can't even begin to imagine if I had to worry every time about my son walking out the door. No. I, uh, but we have to change. I mean, this country, it, it, this is not acceptable, this yeah. systemic racism and uh, we, have to, we have to fix this. I mean, you've been fixing different things, you know, in your own way through your whole career, whether it's like supporting women and also supporting like, gosh, Homeland had a very diverse cast, a very diverse crew. So I feel like you were ahead of us. You must be like, yeah, catch up. Come on. Oh, well, I would never claim that. I think this is a very different thing. But, uh, uh, you know, I have to say it has been a gift to be on that show. I think we get a few of these in a career where you have an incredible group of people where the ideas about uh, not being the, having to be the smartest person in the room, but being in the room with the smartest people where yeah. the best idea wins, where we're constantly 
asking, I hope, pertinent questions. We go and spend a week, a year meeting with the intelligence community from heads of CIA, NSA, DNI, investigative journalists, and basically asking the question, what keeps you up at night? What's your biggest fears? And that's where the season comes from. And, you know, that has been an extraordinary, um, journey to be on. And also we have a no asshole policy. So the process of working has been uh, wonderful and not easy. You know, we, we do a show very quickly. We change countries every year. We're never in the same place twice, which, you know, by the time you're doing a season eight show, you would think, oh, we've got it dialed in. Yeah, yeah. No, we switch countries every year and we're starting over again with Uh, new themes, Claire Danes and Mandy Patinkin at the heart of the show. Uh, but And this final season of bringing everything full circle has been a wonderful challenge. Yeah. I have to say, you know, so I, as I said, I've been researching and spending time with you, whether you knew it or not. Mm. And um, I came across your your acceptance speech at the, w, the Women in Film um, Festival. It wasn't really a yeah. festival. I guess it's a ceremony for you, the award. And uh, many people, you know, they, they have many awards, but I, I very wonderfully received the Dorothy Arsner Directing Award. Which must have felt so, of all the awards, oh. like that's probably one of the most pillar awards to receive as the as a, it was, first uh, female. I'm very grateful and was completely thrilled to, to be receiving that in that great director's name. But I found this this, your speech, and I actually thought I would, I would formulate our chat wow. around your advice. I hope because I said something worthwhile. Oh man, <laughs> I don't know if I remember now. You have no idea how wise you are. You've got oh, like, geez. there's I, t-shirts. T-shirts should be made with everything that you're saying. <laughs> All I can say is, as a director, you never stop growing. You know, every time I start a new project, I feel like I'm putting myself on the line again. Uh, It's terrifying. And that you, being in in an artistic field, you always have to keep growing and changing and learning. You can never sit back and feel like, oh, I got this covered because you don't. You know, and as, you know, I'm a big preparer. I came from being a dancer and a modern, you know, modern dance choreographer. So I'm all about preparation, but that's to allow me to have freedom. So Mm -hmm. when the actors come in, I'm open to what they're bringing in. Uh, It allows me to be open to the opportunities that are are given uh, with your cast and crew and being open to life. Yeah, I am. Um, yeah, it's funny because I have two minds with that as an actor because I've done procedural types of shows before where you need to know those lines oh. like you were born saying them. And I remember the first take going, I never want to do this kind of thing again. This is really, I usually do comedy. Why would I put myself through this? And then I got into the groove and then I was like, oh, I only want to do this. So I think you're right. There's a level of like knowing it and again, keeping loose enough so that you can go with the flow. Yes. Um, one of the things, so I'm going to go through this list. You said, oh, okay. oh my God, but it's good because I feel like, um, I feel like you've gone to the buffet of life and picked up things along the way that have educated you, but then again, educated all the people you've mentored. So, and I have to say, you know, I just think you're one of the most passionate and 
you care so much. You can see how much you love your job. And it's infectious just to hear you speak about uh, it. Well, I do love my job. I love being a storyteller. I'm grateful that I get to do this. And uh, the fact that I'm able to mentor, now mentor women in diverse directors is, uh, has given me so much back. But hopefully we just, if we're in this position, we need to open the door for the next generation. Right. Yeah. I've been well mentored and I feel like we just have to grab the hand of the yeah. next generation. So tenacity is the word you use. <gasps> Big time. Right? So, but you I look back at your, like as a father in the female garment industry and a mother who is a, who is a dancer herself, where did you get that kind of passion and like commitment to your, your love? Uh, my mother is like my biggest hero. And she uh, danced with Martha Graham and yeah. Hunter Holm and Alan Nikolai. And I was raised in a family that believed you could do whatever you wanted to do, but you had to work really hard. Yeah. It's not like you were given a free pass that, oh, I can have whatever I want and I can just sit here and it's going to come to me. No, it was never that. It was about doing the work, but I was always encouraged to try to do whatever I wanted to have big dreams. And I am so grateful for that. I feel like I'm definitely a product of that generosity. Yeah. And uh, my mother, again, had a career when women did not have careers and she followed her heart in that way. And I saw that. I, uh, that was my role model as a, uh, a, a girl growing up. So it seemed possible to me. Mm. It did not seem impossible. And when I moved from dance into directing, I looked around and I was like, whoa, I was shocked that there were so few women. Mm. Now, fortunately, that has changed. Yeah. But in the time I started directing, it was very white male. And that just seemed ridiculous to me because as a dancer, it's so female. Mm -hmm. So for me, it became important as soon as I was in a position to be able to help that you give back. Yeah. But the tenacity is really important because you can hear 50 no's and all it takes is one yes. So somewhere in there, you've got to put your you know, fingers in your ear and go, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forge ahead on my path. And the, the only trick is I think with all that tenacity, you don't want to become bitter. You want to be sure you remember the joy of why you wanted to be a storyteller, what kind of stories you want to tell. Because when you finally do get that chance or you make your opportunity or it's given to you, that you can rise up and, and tell that story with, with the joy you have. You might make me cry this hour. I'm just going to say. <laughs> but now, how do you maintain that? Because your career, our careers are long, hopefully. Oh, so how God. do you, when you find yourself going, oh, it's just, it's become just a job. How do you shift things? Uh, you know, I don't know if I've ever felt it's just a job. I have never been good at that. And I think coming from being a modern dancer where you just make no money, you have to do it because you love it. I, I never really took projects that I didn't feel some connection to. 
So yes, we all have to work. I don't come from a family with money. I've never had anyone you know, support my life. So I've always had to work, which I love. Uh, but I feel like making those kind of choices of the stories you want to tell, sometimes you can't be picky. You've got to pay the bills. Yeah. But I always tried to find what interested me in every story. There, there is always something to mm -hmm. explore about the human condition. Yeah, it feels like you have curiosity in your genes. Oh, without a doubt. I yeah. am very, very curious about we humans and how we move through the world. But again, every career has ups and downs. And when you're at the bottom, you know that's going to change. It will not stay there. And when you're at the top, you know that's going to change too. So I don't think you can ever take yourself so seriously or relieve your own press or any of that. I think you just have to continue doing the work, telling the stories, and being true to that. And so who do you think you got that lesson from? Because you have such, there is such joy in your work and such playfulness. Who do you think led you along that path? That's so interesting you say that because Homeland, people always say it makes them feel really anxious and tense. Oh my God, so anxious. I had to, honestly, I had to just do one or two episodes in a sitting because I was like, like that face, I remember Claire Danes has that face when she runs through the market and she's escaping and then she, she hides and she's got that face of joy because she's like full of adrenaline. I was living in that for the longest time. She's an amazing, amazing actress and human being. Yeah. And uh, she has definitely made me a more fearless director. I've heard you say that. Tell, been, tell me, because you seem like you were born with fierceness. Uh, well, I feel like working with an actor like that who will go anywhere, who will dig deep, who will explore to the depth of a character is, is a huge gift. Mm -hmm. So her, her skill and her generosity uh, taught me a lot. Mm -hmm. And when, when I called you playful, you said that... Um usually people find I've interrupted your thought process. I want to go back to what you said yeah. about the anxiety that people usually get from Homeland. Yes. So I'm shocked you don't that do That is very it. conscious. I mean, obviously we, that is very conscious that we want you to feel like you're in Carrie Matheson's shoes yeah. and uh, the, the world, the earth is not solid. Yeah, it's the reason why right now I'm watching a lot of RuPaul's Drag Race because that's the level of intensity I can take. Totally understand that. Yeah. Um, you also said in your acceptance speech is to don't be afraid to be simple. Who did you learn that lesson from? That, yes, that came from another director. That came from the director, Michael Cuesta, who directed the pilot of Homeland, did a brilliant job. And the first episode, when I was coming as a guest director to Homeland, I I came in the second season. The first season, I was an executive producer, director on another series, so I wasn't available to come direct. And when I saw the first season, I was blown away by it. And fortunately, they asked me back, and I was handled, handed a script called Q&A. And in this script, it was 40 pages in one small room. And I had a panic attack. Because what am I going to do? I had two characters in a small room for that amount of time. But of course, then I realized, 
oh, the writing is brilliant. Henry Vermel, the late great Henry Vermel wrote the script. And I was going to be in that room with the amazing Claire Danes and the brilliant Damian Lewis. Right. And uh, I just embraced the process. But in that time, Michael Cuesta said to me, don't be afraid to be simple. And it so landed with me that I felt like it's always something I want to pass on. So do you think that simplicity will lead you to that dream of opening a poetry and 24-hour shoe store? Oh, God. Which is the best mashup I've ever heard, I have to say. It's hilarious. Um, Yes, everyone has that fantasy thing when you're having the hardest day of your life on a set and everything is going wrong. It's like, hmm, what else can I do? Maybe I can work at Starbucks where my big issue of the day is, would you like a muffin to go with your coffee, ma'am? Right. Uh, Yes, so that that is my fantasy uh, when the directing thing doesn't work out. Oh my gosh. I want to go and buy shoes and listen to poetry at your store. I can't. Thank uh, you so much. Thank you. Have a nice cup of coffee. Yeah. yeah. It'll be called Walk a Mile in My Shoes. Mm. Um, Okay. Your other other lesson was learning people's names on set, which I'm a huge advocate for. Who taught you that? Who taught me that? I think that just came out of observing uh, that People always work best when it's personal. Mm-hmm. If you say, hey, you, I need 50 feet of dolly track. Mm-hmm. And if you say, hey, Joey, you know, why don't we put 50 feet of dolly track here? Mm-hmm. I feel like you start to build a team. And we are in a team sport in storytelling, in filmmaking and TV. And the stronger your team is, the better the work is going to be. So I feel like give the respect to everyone's job, to what they do, to how hard they work and, and learn everyone's name. And at the end of the day, go to the trucks and thank everyone for their work because you would not be able to do your job without that team. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the moment that um, you realized you were a valuable member of the crew? Like whether it was in writing rooms or whether it was in, I mean, gosh, you went from zero to 60 with your career. That must have been even. I mean, you went from, I think I'll make a short film to Oscar nominated to a call from Spielberg. So where do you go from there? Well, again, you can't take yourself too seriously. And I have a very funny story about that. So I was told, the only reason I ever directed is I was told a series of stories when I was living in Japan that I knew I had to pass on and I knew it wasn't dance. So if I had not heard those stories, I wouldn't have never directed. It wasn't like, oh, I think I'm going to change careers. No, no, that's not what my process Mm. was. So once I realized it was a narrative story I had directed theater, so I thought maybe it was a theater piece. And I met a filmmaker, told the stories to that filmmaker, and he said, I think that's a film. Have you thought about film? Which I hadn't. And the more it kind of ruminated with me, the more I thought, well, maybe it is a film. Maybe that's the proper medium for this story. Mm -hmm. And when I finally moved back to the States, I spent 10 years overseas. um, I... 
I met a friend that told me about this program at the American Film Institute called the Directing Workshop for Women. And I applied to that program. So that's where I made my short film. And uh, the film is called Tales of Meeting and Parting. It was my mentor's stories. And it was everything I was told not to do if I ever wanted to work in Hollywood. Because the film was three quarters in Japanese with subtitles. It uh, was a period piece set in World War II, uh, set in Hong Kong. And uh, it had uh, flashbacks, narration, uh, and uh, it had one Caucasian character. So basically, that was like a recipe mm -hmm. for disaster if you wanted to have a showpiece to get another job. But I, I wasn't thinking about getting a job. I just wanted to tell my mentor stories. Right. So I worked on like 10 of the other films to learn the craft because I didn't really know anything about directing, certainly not about directing film. And then I directed my, my short film. Mm -hmm. and, and obviously it was a huge shock to be nominated for an Academy Award. Like we, all you can do when everyone works for free on a project is send the project out to every festival, to the Academy Awards, everything so that people see the work. That's mm -hmm. how you can pay your crew back when everyone's working for free. Uh, so the call came and I was stunned, but my, my big learning story was I'm going to the Academy Awards. So I've gone to the, the, uh, the used clothing store. Mm -hmm. I found an amazing 1952 Norel dress for nothing. I'm in the first limo I've ever been in right. with my date at the time. And uh, we're in the limo. We pull up to the red carpet. They're all the people waiting to see their favorite movie stars. And we get out of the limo and there's like a chorus of people that goes, it's nobody, oh it's nobody, it's nobody, it's nobody, it's nobody. I, I was laughing oh so God. hard I could barely walk because you can never take yourself so seriously. Here I'm no. feeling pretty good about myself and just never take yourself seriously. And then who comes in after me? Prince. Right. Yeah, that's gonna. And everyone goes crazy. Right. So it was, it was an amazing, amazing thing to be nominated. And, you know, I realized it was a window of opportunity because it's like you're a carrot and it's carrot season for five minutes. Right. And then pretty soon, you know, it's going to be asparagus season. So they'll, <laughs> everyone will be on to the next hot thing. Yeah. So, you know, I knew that I wanted to direct after I had had the experience and, and was able to move through the door at that particular time. Was that momentum hard to keep up? I mean, I know... I know Spielberg called you after he saw the short film, but yes. then you must have been like, well, I've kind of reached the goal. Oh, no, I, I knew that was that. I okay. still don't feel that. I feel like I'm constantly in process, but it was not a straight line at all. It went way up and down. Like I remember I did a pilot and I was, I was like banned from the network after that pilot because they insisted on casting uh, an actor that I knew was not right for the part, but they said basically they wouldn't pick it up unless we cast that actor, but I knew it was like the nail in the coffin for the project. So of course I cast the actor and they didn't pick up the project. And 
the director is usually blamed for that. So I didn't, I was blackballed from that network for many years. Now, yeah, it's everyone, interesting. Yeah, everyone has their ups and downs where yeah. it's difficult to get hired and you have to go on the dog and pony show again and meet everyone and get back on the bicycle and start over again. But that's where the tenacity comes in. Yeah, yeah. It's like you, on my ringtone, it should be like, she's nobody. She's no, it's nobody. <laughs> Just leveling me, keeping me humble. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, it is the kind of thing that you have to keep getting back in on the on the horse so to speak and keep going if you if you want it that much if you, you know, want if it, yeah. my, my feeling is if you don't want it that much it's probably the wrong career choice yeah yeah and we have this perspective you know i think it's so interesting having these discussions with with folks like yourself where our perspective perspective is like easy Gosh, she just started. She didn't stop. She never had doubts. Do you know what? I, and I know I see your face and you're like, you're, you're nuts. But it's so, you know, hearing people who are just stepping into becoming directors right now to know that people didn't start out as successful is helpful, I feel. Well, yes. And I think that that's really important to remember that it's all a process. And the good news about, well, uh, <laughs> I don't want to say the good news about right now because we're in the middle of a pandemic and with huge social unrest, but the fact is young filmmakers can pick up a cell phone and make a movie. Yeah. That is incredibly positive and it puts the creativity and the storytelling right in your own lap to be mm -hmm. able to tell the stories you want to tell. And when I was coming of age, that was not possible. And you had to have a certain amount of money, even if you were doing it on a shoestring. And now you, I think there are many more possibilities for that, which is very positive. And the walls have come down between film and TV. Yep. And there is a movement back and forth between the two because it doesn't really matter how, what medium your story comes to you from. You have to tell a great visual story. Yeah. And now so many more complicated layered characters are on television. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. Beautifully flawed people. Yes. Did you find your brain had to turn a corner when television became more cinematic? No. And the reason I say that is because my first mentors in television were filmmakers, Steven Spielberg and David Lynch. Right. And it never occurred to me that TV was not a visual medium. So because they were my first mentors, I just approached it as if you were making an hour long film that's going to appear in the TV versus on a movie screen. Yeah. But I never saw it as a different form in my mind. Yes, you have to work much faster, which means you really need to know what your story's about, because if you only have a limited amount of time to tell it, you better be sure you're spending your time on the most important scenes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, one of your other things, your, your advice notes was uh, that you have a, have a good BS detector. Oh, yes. And I, and I, you know, I know the rule of no assholes allowed on the set, but what happens if you find yourself on your set and going, oh, the, something's off? 
Like, how do you get things back on track when they're somehow an asshole got on your set? Well, again, <laughs> you don't always have control. Over right. If yeah. I'm a guest director in someone else's sandbox, yeah. I am not in a position to, to make that change. And the thing about being a showrunner or being in that position is you get to create the world you want to create. So if you want a more harmonious world, you can do that. And some people live and feed off a more toxic environment and uh, it feeds them in some way. I don't like that, but you know, you, you don't always have control over that, yeah. but I think you need to be able to tell the difference. And that's what I meant by you have to have a, 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 a huge BS director. Uh, yeah. Detector. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a very the fine line. Because you, I never believe if someone says uh, how great you are, because you don't want to take yourself that seriously. Right. So just be sure you're listening. You're putting all the, the, the clues together. Don't take things at face value. Look deeper than what's on the surface. And um, I mean, that's really the main thing. Was there a time that you felt like you did take yourself too seriously? Not really. No, I just can't I, imagine. You're really. a modern dancer. Never, yeah, with modern dance, your leg goes up in the air or it doesn't. Right. You can't tell someone how great you are because yeah. in a second, they're going to know you're full of bullshit. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. dance is a very clear background to come from in that way because you yeah. really can't get away with it. Also, I think part of it is I am a very bad liar. And maybe because, maybe I'd, I'd lie more if I was better at it. But <laughs> I feel like I'm an open book and you can tell. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't do it because I'm scared I'm going to get caught. I mean, I know I'm going to get caught. So I, yeah, I, was, I was watching, um, it was called something like uh, Women from Homeland with you and Claire Dane speaking yes. on stage. And I was like, this is a great show. Like just you two speaking <laughs> authentically. Like there's a level of your friendship that is so, you just want to lean into constantly. And I, I, I think it's really, it's really special. Um, do you miss really dance? Do I, yes, I miss dance. Uh, could I be doing it now at my age professionally as a dancer? No. So, yeah, I mean, you have to have the skills and the athleticism. But I loved, I loved dance. Yeah. I loved that it's so immediate that you can go in a studio and, and work out creatively mm. a, a dance, a project. You can, you have all the access. You don't need permission. You don't need... Uh, all sorts of equipment and all sorts of crew. You just go in there and it's an amazing thing. Yeah. I think dance as a background, again, because you can't cheat, but also I've done a lot of action and action is just moving people through space. So that yeah. always felt very natural to me. It wasn't like people somehow think, oh, doing action is a male skill. Yeah. Which never made any sense to me. Why would that be so? Uh, but I love doing it if it moves the story forward, if it's yeah. based on character. And because I feel like action movies were 
male dominated did you feel like you had to get your elbows up a lot in the early days of like proving yourself in that way uh that's a good question i because my first film uh the film i told you about my my japanese mentor story it was not really an action film but it was it was set in world war ii it it felt people saw it as an action film it was much more psychological than that so i think coming out of the gate i was not put in the oh she's going to do coming of age stories or a rom-com right i just wasn't put in that box mm -hmm. and one of the things about TV that's been great is that I've been able to move in very many genres. Mm -hmm. so doing the pilot for the Gilmore Girls or Pretty Little Liars or a movie like Now and Then, yeah. coming age story about girls growing up could not be more different than Homeland or Freaks and Geeks. Freaks and Geeks, like I night know. and day. And so I have loved being able to work in many different genres yeah. and not just being pigeonholed in, in one area yeah is there a genre that you feel like you would like more uh more more opportunity in i mean there's certain things that i don't think i'd be right for like i don't think i would do well with a broad comedy i love comedy but it i don't relate to it well yeah. now i can watch it and laugh and have a great time but i don't know if that's where my instincts lie yeah uh, I'm not a big horror gal. Right. And again, I can go to a horror film and have a great time. Don't know if that's what I really want to do. Yeah. Though I've, I've directed things like The Walking Dead, which yeah. I don't really see as horror. It's more about if everything you know was taken away, what would society be left with? Yeah. And yes, it happened to be zombies. <laughs> no. Uh, so... So I guess as much as I say that, I'll read something you know, that I think I, I understand. I mean, now if I read a script, if I can love the script, but if I don't think I'm the right person mm -hmm. to bring it to life, then that's very clear to me now. Yeah, and was there a time where you were like, I'm not the right person, but I'm so hungry to work, I'm gonna push through. Absolutely, absolutely. And at the end of the day, you have to make the decision if you can do it, if you have a point of view about the material that, that you can, you can uh, find your way into. If you can't, you probably can't do that story. Right. And I've, I've had to make that choice. And sometimes I've looked back and gone, oh my God, why didn't I do that? But I didn't see it. Yeah, I mean, one of your things is go with your gut, right? You talk a lot about your instincts and those, that's a muscle that you just have to train. You can't It's, it's very true. Like you have to keep that channel alive yes. so that you can hear your instincts because they will talk to you and they will keep you safe. Yeah. yeah. And if it gets so cloudy or you're too uh, terrified, fear is a, a, uh, just the killer uh, instincts. Yes. I mean, it's paralyzing. And we have all felt that. I mean, I have certainly come on the set and gone, oh my God, I am in panic mode. Yeah. Now I'm better at finding my way out of it, but it absolutely still happens. And 
uh, you know, now I would go off the set and take five minutes and, you know, meditate and get back inside myself and then come on the set. Mm -hmm. The first time it happened as a new director, I felt like I had to push through it on the set. Yeah. And I did, but my insides were churning the whole day. It was terrible. Yeah. And having that experience teaches you. It certainly teaches you that that's not the best way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Was there a time that you didn't listen to your instincts? Oh, absolutely. And then you're sitting there in the editing room watching the scene that you knew wasn't working, right. that you should have stopped and fixed it. Yeah. And you didn't because whatever reason, you felt like the producers were standing over your shoulder and you had to move on quickly, or you didn't want to look like you didn't know what you were doing or what, whatever it is. Yeah. And uh, yes, then you have to fix it in the editing room, which is never the best way. Yeah. And that's the joy of having a great team and having a plan and having really thought about the story. Because what a gift when someone comes up with idea that's going to make your story better. Yeah, and then it's this fine line. So as a director, people look to you for the answers, right? So you want to portray yourself as somebody that has all the answers. And yet you want to also portray yourself as somebody that goes, I'm also able to hear new ideas. How do you make that balance? Oh, it's, it's definitely a balancing act. Mm -hmm. uh, I... I would say don't make decisions till you know what your decision is. Meaning if someone, you, as a director, people are asking you questions all day long. That's part of the job. And some of those things you've actually thought about and considered and you have an answer. But if you don't yet have an answer, you can absolutely say, you know what? come back to me in 10 minutes, or I will tell you the answer to that tomorrow. So you can take a moment to be sure you're, you're actually answering that correctly. Mm -hmm. Or if you make a decision and you realize, uh-oh, that is not actually the right decision, you have to have the courage and a mind to say, you know what, that's not right. Mm. Uh, sorry to send you on the wrong path, but this is what we're going to do. Yeah. But all of that to me goes back to story. If I know what story I'm telling, that is the thing that's going to save me. Yeah. If I'm unclear about the story and I haven't broke the back of it or know what the characters want in each scene, if I haven't done my homework, it's very hard for me to make the right decisions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you also said the value of comfortable shoes, which I am a huge, huge advocate for. Huge. Yeah. Huge. And I'm I, a stander. I don't sit very much. I have a lot of energy. So you have to be sure. I think it was Steven Spielberg who told me about the footwear, how important mm -hmm. footwear is. And I do change my shoes three times a day oh. when I'm on a set because it kind of tricks you into feeling like the day is starting again. Oh, that is a good mindset. I also know that you re reapply your lipstick, that my mother was a huge advocate. She would sometimes just kiss me on the lips just to make me wear lipstick, just to put a little, and hers was um, Revlon apple polish and, her, and yours was uh, cranberry cream. Yes, well, they stopped making it. I'm telling you, my huge mother lost her mind. It <laughs> was terrible. 
people were trying to order it for me from around the world. Oh. Uh, now I've moved on because it's gone. And yeah. I, it was a clinique. Yeah. Yeah. I would never forgive them. And what is that? Do you feel like it just helps you feel um, prepped and ready? I guess so. I never look at myself. So I can, I can reapply lipstick on a, uh, uh, the top of a building with a huge windstorm or on a fast moving insert car. And what I realized I've been doing in this pandemic is I reapply and put my mask on. That's, um, that's extraordinary. It's I mean, to get you a mask that has lipstick already. Yeah, but it just makes me feel better. It's, yeah. it's a feeling thing. Yeah. That was my mom too. Uh, you also spoke about the, the, the importance of giving back and valuing that we're lucky. And I, I'd love to know the moment that you recognized yourself more as a mentor than a mentee, because I feel like you celebrate mentorship in your life so much. Yes, I have definitely celebrated that and I've been very well mentored. When did I realize that? Uh, that is a really good question. I'm not sure there's a specific time and I always feel like I'm learning and growing. So in some ways I feel like I'm a beginner, but there was definitely a point where I realized I was getting hired all the time. And as a result of that, I felt like it was time to start helping. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't so much that I felt like a, a mentor, I just felt like I could, I could help open the door for someone who was talented yeah. and ready. So I don't know if I felt like I was a mentor, but I felt like I could help. Mm -hmm. And now, do you still have mentors? Like, have you, and who, who, why do you go to your mentors now? It feels like you have a lot more answers than you did 10 years ago. So what are the new mentorship roles? But I think we're always learning. Yeah. So I have many, many director friends now. So it, depending on what question I'm asking, yeah. or what concern I have, it could be any number of people because I so adore and respect my group of yeah. director friends and I'm grateful because a director is, you, there's only one on a set and you do that, that job alone even though you're in this amazing team. So to be able to have a, the camaraderie ship of other directors and people who do the same job is a gift. Yeah, I'm, uh, I think it's, it's your curiosity. I think there's a level of like constant learning that, like I remember reading somewhere that you took an acting class because you wanted to get to know actors better. What's, oh, the last yes. thing that, what's the last thing that you learned so that you could be a better director? Oh, well, I, again, going back to when you first begin, it's like you have a paint box and you want all the colors you can have in that paint box. And if you don't know how to talk to actors, then you definitely need to go to an acting class because mm -hmm. that's part of the job. Or if you don't feel comfortable with camera lenses, pick up a camera. How does it make you feel to put on a 24 or a 75 or a 150? It's an emotional choice. Mm -hmm. So these are all things you can access so you have more of a language to tell your stories. But I think you're always growing. It never stops. Like 
the world has changed so drastically in, in terms of visual effects. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a brave new world out there yeah. and what you can create. So that is, it's never going to stop. There's always going to be something new to learn. Yeah. And what's the thing that you haven't done yet that you're like, oh, I got to do this. Oh, there are many stories I still want to tell, many, and some I'm working on now. I, I remember last year, I went to one of the, the directors I admire and adore is John Favreau. And he is just a brilliant storyteller, but he has worked in a whole level of technology that I have never done. Uh -huh. What he did with the Jungle Book, with the Lion King, with Mandalorian, in terms of creating worlds, yeah. it's so mind-boggling, but all in service of storytelling. So I went to his facility, and he took me on a virtual a location scout and showed me how certain things were done and my my mouth just fell to the floor yeah it was a whole new world and i haven't worked in that area yeah. so that would be really fascinating to me but let's say someone that i learned a huge amount about who is someone i admire greatly about being a producing director an executive producer on a series is tommy shlami who's mm -hmm. the president of the Directors Guild and an amazing director. And I was lucky enough to work with him on West Wing. And I feel like I learned how to do that job from him. Right. So you learn from hopefully many people you come in contact with. What, what do you think is the thing, the, the Leslie thing that you bring to set that's unlike any other director? Oh, so hard to answer that question. <laughs> I do think I create a good working environment. Yeah, I, think I bet you do. I mean, I could talk to you all day and we're not even <laughs> working right now. So I can imagine I you think know, I you're, feel, you're accessible uh, too. Like I think yes, that's huge. I think, I think actors feel safe mm -hmm. and taken care of. And uh, so I feel people can do their best work if they feel safe. Yeah. So I think I create that environment. Yeah, I think there's also, I mean, from, from just from speaking with you and from the research I've done, I just feel like you've laid a platform of curiosity, but learning so that we're, you, you don't have to be perfect. I feel like there's this weird pursuit of perfection that kind of Fs us, you know, because we can't meet that. Well, I think that's very true. And also when, when there were so few women directors, we were all lumped mm -hmm. in one pile together. So if one woman did well, it would help open the door a tiny little bit. But if someone had did not it, or something was not well received, we would go back five steps. Mm -hmm. And men are not put together in that, in that lump. No. I mean, a, 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 a male director does something and it doesn't work. Well, that thing didn't work. It doesn't mean they're not a good director. But women were judged as a collective. And that's not, that's not how it should be. I mean, I've certainly had it said to me multiple times, we hired a woman once and it didn't work. Right. What? Just I'm going to start saying that about men. <laughs> like, you know what? I've worked with a guy once. It was sort of wonky. It didn't I, I won't work. do that again. No more of them. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't think it's easy to be a director for men or women. It's not, 
it's not an easy job and it's not an easy pursuit, but it should be an equal playing field. Mm -hmm. It should be more difficult for our daughters than for our sons. It should be equally difficult for everybody. Yeah. Did your, were your parents just in awe of you? Because you went into, you were going to go into neurosurgery. Like, I I feel like there's this like, "Mm, one day I'm going to become a famous modern dancer, choreographer. No, maybe I'll do neurosurgery today. Oh no, I'm going to be a world renowned. Naomi, you can only feel that when you're 18. Right? I can do anything. I know. I thought, oh yes, I'm going to be a a neurosurgeon by day and do concert modern dance at night. I love that so much. Yeah. And then my poetry store on the weekend. Yes, exactly. That did not last long. I realized the the era of my thinking. But But you could have gone into it. Like you had the, again, the curiosity, the brain. Yes. I mean, had I decided to make that choice, I'm very glad I did not. Me too. But at that point, it seemed like, okay, yeah, I could do both of those things. Yeah. And what, what was your parents' vision for you? How did they watch you grow into what you are now? Oh, wow. Uh, I don't know if I can really answer that well. I, I feel that they allowed me to be who I was. I don't feel like they, they put me in a box and said, this is how you have to be. Yeah. You have to uh, be a, a certain job. They, they, never, they never really did that. And I'm grateful because I certainly know people that felt like they had to be within that box and they had to struggle to find their own voice outside of that. I think yeah. we all struggle to find our, our own voice no matter what, uh, because unlimited freedom can make you insane. Uh, but I, I don't feel like I had to struggle against that yeah. about, you know, you have to do it a certain way and this is the right way. Well, I mean, somebody who moves to Tokyo and the traveling that you did, you must miss traveling right now so much. Oh, so much. Yeah. I was on my way to Budapest uh, when we got shut down. I was going to be starting a new mini-series for Amazon. So I had my four suitcases and three boxes packed and ready to go. And uh, One suitcase just for lipstick? Absolutely. Yeah, okay, just checking. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, and of course, they sat in the middle of the floor for about two weeks before right. I decided to unpack. Yeah. When you travel, because gosh, with Homeland Alone, you've traveled so much and you yes. set up shop. Like you have to actually move there. You can't just visit. Very what true. What do you do that, give, that keeps you grounded and balanced? That's a good, uh, good question. Um, I feel like because I've traveled so much and gone to places for a long time, we were, we were in Morocco for nine months this past year. I feel like every place I go, I make my home. Mm-hmm. And How do you do yet, that? I miss my real home. I have certain things I take with me. I find my neighborhood stores. I start to build a community in that country. Mm-hmm. And that's a joyful exploration. So I really enjoy that. Uh, it... And then I'm always glad to come back to my real home, always. But I don't feel like home is a place I leave somewhere. It's something I move with me. Yeah, yeah. I like that so much. I mean, I could really talk to you all day. I think you're (laughs) such... I'm I'm so excited when I meet folks like you and I... um, 
I know you're a piece of this community because I'm so excited that you have a vision for community building and you have a vision for diversity and balance and um, you're doing with such passion. I'm in awe. Like I haven't heard you in one, one interview and I, 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 the story of you meeting the, your Japanese mentor, you've told countless, because it's a beautiful story, but I've never once heard you tell it like, ah, it's just this little story. Like you tell it with the same joy as if it just happened to you last week. Well, it changed my life. Yeah. So I'm so grateful that I went in the coffee shop on the right where I met my mentor versus the one on the left where I would be in a totally different career. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you find yourself now going, oh no, there's two doors to go through at Starbucks. Oh, and then paralyzed with choosing the right one because it might change your life again. It might, but yeah. it, you can only do what you're open to in the moment. Yeah. And then that would have been another path. Did you keep in touch for a long time with your oh, mentor in Japan? until he passed away. I mean, he was 75 and I was 25, so there was a huge age difference. But yeah. yes, stayed in touch with him until, uh, until he passed. Do you get much chance to practice your Japanese? Not as much as I would like. I mean, I do when I go to Japanese restaurants. I have a few Japanese friends, but not it's not the same as when you're living in a place. No. I mean, it just can't be. You use it every day. Yes, of course. I do remember the joy of being in the subway in Japan, realizing that I actually understood what was being said. Like yeah. the day it happened where I was like, oh my God, I know what they're saying. I can eavesdrop. <laughs> yeah, that's a good, and you're, you must have been such a icon in Japan too. I spent a month there when I was 12. And as like a wow. little blonde, long-haired blonde little girl, people are like, "What are you doing there?" Well, my father traveled a lot as a professor of chemistry. Oh my goodness! So we were there for a month, and um, I remember this little girl coming up and asking me for a strand of my hair, and then suddenly all her friends came and started pulling out my hair because they couldn't believe. But yeah. I was—I mean, I, that was probably one of the best things we've ever done as a family. That kind of—it's an amazing culture. Yeah. It made me rethink everything. But yes, just by virtue of being different, of being a Westerner, you stand out. And that, that can be a good thing and a bad thing too. You can mm -hmm. never truly assimilate. You know, not that you, I would ever become Japanese. Of course not. I'm an American. But you, you are always going to be different. Mm -hmm. and, and I think the danger of saying they're too long is that you can start to think you're special because you're different. Right. And it, you're not. Yeah. I, yeah. I did ridiculous jobs in Japan that I wouldn't, am totally unqualified for. That only like what? because I was um, on a talk show as a talk show host because I spoke Japanese. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I'm a terrible actor, right? I okay. acted in a Japanese soap opera. I played no. the wife of a Japanese businessman. All my dialogue in Japanese. Oh, well, we have a clip. Oh my God. No, we don't. I'm I just kidding. Not. I'm not that. I was truly, <laughs> truly terrible. You know? And uh, I did all sorts of voice recordings. Wow. Of, like the uh, to a Toyota car door and the voice that welcome you to Tokyo's Narita airport and yeah. uh, things that I have no skill sets whatsoever. Yeah, because you were such an anomaly there. 
Yeah. So. I, it, it totally expanded my mind. Completely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, again, I'm stalling because I really could have, oh, I do need to hear about Freaks and Geeks. I need, because it's one of my absolute favorite shows. I'm sure it's one of yours. And it was such a pocket of, but I do feel like you work in like pockets of magic where like, you know, with the David Lynch work and then uh, Freaks and Geeks and the West Wing and like each one is this little special I, I pilot of Gilmore pretty. Girls. Yes, I've been very fortunate and it's material I relate to. I mean, Freaks and Geeks is one of the most special series ever made. Yeah. And Judd Apatow and Paul Feig and that incredible cast. I, I, it was constantly surprising me. This is the joy of it is that, because I'm a Second City alum, and so seeing Joe Flaherty on it, I oh. was like, oh, I oh. didn't know Joe Flaherty could make me cry. Oh my goodness. And it, it looked at growing up in mm -hmm. such a real and painful and funny and beautiful mm -hmm. way. And no one escapes growing up. It's difficult for everyone, whether you're a freak or a geek or a nerd or a whatever. It just, we all kind of struggle through to find out who we're going to be in the world. Mm -hmm. And it felt even like the casting, usually at that point on network TV, like high school kids, everyone was perfect looking. They're yeah. all beautiful. They're all fantastic. And this was a world where everyone was painfully real. Yeah. Beautifully and, real. Oh it was my so goodness. Just incredible. And look at that cast. Yeah. I mean, every single one of them, from Linda Cardellini to Jason Siegel to Seth Rogen, James Franco. I mean, yeah. it's just one amazing actor after another. Yeah. When so, you read that script, did you get goosebumps? Was that like, oh, when I, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, okay. I really will wrap it up because you've got other things to do. I usually try to ask some like finite questions at the end just to get some rapid sure. fire, which are neither rapid or fire related. Um, what do you want to be best known for? Oh, oh. You're also crazy humble. I have seen your face when people speak of you and you don't even like, I hope that there is a place where you can sit in how valuable you are to someone. Wow. Well, it, it, that's, that's hard to take in. But I, I guess I hope that I've told stories well and honestly that I have uh, helped the next generation that, uh, wow, I think it's still becoming. So I'm not sure if I can answer that completely yet. I feel like your passion for storytelling is absolutely, it's just a given. That's going to be something people remember you forever, forever. I um, love it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I know you speak about five big scenes, five turning point moments in, in movies. You talk about like 25 cents and dollar cents, yes. but what have been five scenes in your life that have been turning points? In my personal life? Yeah. If this was a movie about you. Oh, uh, wow. Okay. Certainly making the choice, uh, in university to go with dance. That was a huge turning point. Uh, going overseas for me, after I graduated from university, I from New York, I went to London, Paris, then Tokyo. So that voyage absolutely shaped uh, who I am and how I see things. Uh, and then the, the making my first film. Mm -hmm was definitely a game changer. Having my son 
huge. Yeah. And um, I think maybe being becoming a mentor. Yeah. Yeah. Giving back. Um, what's something that people don't know about you? Having done all of these like heavy duty action pieces, I think I'm really funny. <laughs> I can't wait to see you do. Well, I mean, Freaks and Geeks and Gilmore Freaks Girls. Freaks and Geeks and Gilmore Girls. But this I think how... people think I do heavy drama, which I do, and I yeah. love drama. But I'm actually a goofball. But this is how I know you would be good at comedy is because of your pacing. Because you do shows that are like, da 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 and that's comedy. So whether or not you're doing like a chase scene in Berlin with Claire Danes, or you're doing a funny, weird dialogue moment in Gilmore Girls, you have that pace. So I, I think also because I'm pretty high energy that I just see the world moving. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's your dance too, right? Yes. Like it's the yeah. dance. There's a your, rhythm. How are your feet, by the way? Have you suffered the dancers? The feet? worst feet ever. The most disgusting. <laughs> I, I danced for 10, no, I danced for 20 years, actually, and not yeah. modern, but uh, yeah, not something. LA is even worse for your feet. I was. LA is terrible. I was a jazz, and I was proudly on, um, what's it called? It's called like Footypedia or something, like worst feet in the industry. And somebody took a pic, and I was like, okay, well. No, definitely no one wants a picture of my feet, <laughs> for sure. Uh, what has been your best and most favorite mistake? Oh, uh, my best and most favorite mistake. Uh, the first thing, I'm sure there are many, but the first thing that comes to mind as a director is I remember early on going to an actor, actually the actor was Stockard Channing, amazing actress. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. And I told her, I, I, we were midway through the take and she had done an incredible take. And I went up to her and talked to her about the moment that was so amazing. And she said, you took that moment away from me. Yes. And I was like, oh my God, because I now had made her self-conscious about that moment. Now that would have been fine to do after we, I had said, check the gate and moved on. Of course, because then she knows that I know that we both know that was amazing. But when I was still filming that particular take, that particular shot, I should have never done that. And that was a great learning lesson of like, oh my goodness, you don't want to make someone self-conscious about the work they're doing because they will, every time they come to that moment, they're going to see themselves instead yeah, that's of in the moment. It's an actor's battle to take oh. a note and not think it. Yeah. And I, especially in comedy, when somebody says, hey, can you do this? And you're just trying to keep, I'm just trying to keep like a clown. Yeah. I love your theory of uh, shadowing directors into their first episode. Can you speak a little bit about that? Of uh, You mean having people shadow? Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, yes, I shadowed, I learned a huge amount from it. Every episode, I try to have some new director. Usually, they're not new. They're very well-accomplished directors. They just haven't done series uh, shadowing. So they have that opportunity to watch how the process works. 
I think the, there are many programs that exist now to shadow. I think the most effective programs are programs where you shadow, but you are guaranteed a job. Mm, I think that's so smart. It's because so exciting because otherwise, where do you practice? Yeah. 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 Now with Homeland, when people come on to Homeland as a shadow and people, many people have done it and asked to do it, there would be no guarantee of a job. People are already hired, you know, by the time yeah. someone would be shadowing. But uh, in general, I think the best kind of programs that are when, when everyone's got skin in the game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I squeaked that question in. That wasn't even at the end, but I just knew I wanted to ask. Um, final two is what helps you regroup? I know you meditate, but what helps you get back to, like, I'm sure you have levels of burnout being on the pace that you're on. There's something about when you're in the process of working that you just keep going till the final, that's a wrap. And then I completely fall apart. Yeah. And you don't yeah. answer the phone, you just shut down. So I shut down. Uh, but then I find like I'm ready to start thinking again. A couple of weeks. You know, I'm ready <laughs> to start thinking about story. Yeah, okay. I get it. What advice would you have given your younger self? Have faith. Mm -hmm. It will be okay. Tell your stories. Don't let anyone tell you you can't do it. And uh, keep loving the process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that lesson of like, don't get bitter and don't give up. Yeah. Yeah, because who wants to work with anybody who's grumpy and bitter? Exactly. I think you're just a delight. I feel so honored to have had a reason to speak to you like this. And I'm so grateful to share your voice with my community. Well, thank you so much. It's been a joy. Oh, it you're asking you have, questions. Thank you. I mean, gosh, you have such um, playful wisdom. It's, it's completely, it makes it so accessible. There's some people that have, you know, their ideas and their thoughts and it's all just sort of ba -da 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 -da, and I just feel like we could talk forever because you've just got- I feel the same way now. I mean, I'm so glad we did this. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And uh, we'll keep in touch if ever- Yes, please, please. And stay safe in all of this. Yeah, please, you as well. Yeah. Pleasure. Okay. Thank you so much, Leslie. Thank you. All right, bye, -bye. bye now. Bye, everyone. Okay. Again, at one point I looked down at my clock and I thought, I could talk to her forever. She doesn't have time to talk to me forever, but I really could have. I wonder if maybe we'll do a second part sometime. Uh, since we spoke, you know, the world has shifted again. She was on her way to Budapest for seven months, which is, you guessed it, not happening for 2020. Leslie sent us a note saying that she already misses working. Of course she does. She lives for it. Of course she does. We all do. And she's actually, right now, she said she's searching for a rhythm to the days which must be really weird for somebody that works so much, travels so much. I think everyone can relate to that feeling of looking for rhythm to these new days. Um, I mean, I've been looking for it since March and uh, you think this is what happens. You think you find it and then something happens and then it just gets off track. You know, 
the more we can go with the flow, the better we are. It's obviously an insane time for everyone. And I just have to say, I do feel, I do feel better knowing that people like Leslie and the COVID-19 task force and the Female Forward Initiative and storytellers in general, that we're all working in our way to make this new normal work for our communities. I mean, storytelling is such a team sport. And I know, I know Firecracker Department, we are so excited to get back to it and tell stories and come together as a community, of course, when it's safe. Wear your masks, folks. I mean, I'm sure I don't have to tell you, but wear your masks. You can follow Leslie on Instagram at Leslie without the E, Linka, and on Twitter at Leslie Linka G. And stay tuned to her feeds for updates on her latest Amazon series called The Banker's Wife. Come on, does this woman ever stop? She's got a new Amazon series as well. And why not stay tuned to ours? Because, you know, are you a note taker? Do you listen to these podcasts and like scribble notes to yourself? If you do, or maybe you're a mental note taker. Either way, love to hear from you. Uh, this past three months, there's been such beautiful notes from our community. And I want you to know it matters. It really does. We have this little separate uh, file on our Slack with Firecrack Department called hashtag encouragement. And we all share any kind of words of encouragement. And it really, it really bolsters us. So thank you so much. Really. A uh, little shout out. No, not a little shout out. Big shout out to the gal that's editing this, Sydney Nielsen. Maybe she'll even give us her voice. Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. You just never know. She's fantastic. Oh, stop it. She always, I mean, she just delivers, even if it's like, hey, Sydney, there's one more edit to do, and I know it's midnight, and I know we're supposed to be releasing this podcast tomorrow, and she does it. I mean, it probably helps that she's an insomniac, but I love her. I love her so much. Love you too. And Winnie Wong, big shout out to Winnie Wong, who also is a co-producer of the podcast. Love you too, Winnie. And makes sure that we have such amazing, diverse, exciting guests. I always finish these discussions uh, void. I feel void by the inspiration of these people that I get to talk to. So lucky. Stay tuned for so many more discussions. There's so many great ones coming up on Firecracker Department. I just want to let you know that there is something for everyone within the Firecracker Department. And if you're not already part of our Firecracker members group over on Facebook, why not? You should be. It's super fun. And it sort of is our central hub for connecting with each other. It's kind of like what I say is, these are your people, come and find us. This is where you'll hear about what's going on in all the departments and also meet some fabulous firecracker people from all over the world. So get in on that action. Mondays are FDTV, that's Firecracker Department Television. We have a writing group that meets on Thursday, so you can be part of that as well. Come one, come all. And then Sundays, we do a community brunch on Zoom so everybody can come, meet some of your people, hang out, and then pop over to our wellness department for an amazing meditation live on Instagram and Facebook. I'm telling you, we're busy and there's something for you. There's a department and a seat for everyone at the firecracker table. You just have to pull up a chair because really we've been waiting for you. So come on in and join the community. Stay in the loop and subscribe to our newsletter at firecrackerdepartment.com. I'm really glad you're here. Big, huge, massive, gigantic, big-hearted thank you to the whole Firecracker team. Oh my gosh, everyone in Los Angeles, Toronto, Vancouver, and all the way over in the UK. And we've got some Firecrackers that are humming over in New York or hoping to start a chapter over there as well. Thank you to the core members that really make everything work. 
and then we're gonna do a whole new episode on Tuesdays. Yeah, we don't stop. Because we know that this stuff is important. It gives folks platforms for your voices, for your stories. And thanks to you for taking the time to listen. Because you know what? There's a lot of options out there. And there's a lot of information. So we're really thrilled that you chose us. Let us know what you're working on. Let us know how we can help. Because I always say, we're one better if you're here. I'm Naomi. And we'll see you next time on the Firecracker Department. Bye.